Have you heard? 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 Welcome to Have You Heard. I'm Jennifer Berkshire. And I'm Jack Schneider. And Jack, you sound really far away. I'm not far away. I'm just uh, a long way in the past. I'm back here in 1897, Jack. And pray tell, Jack, what are you doing back in 1897? I decided to make use of the time since listeners get such a kick out of it. And I took it back to 1897 to the founding of the Chicago Federation of Teachers which was the first teachers-only union, uh, and I wanted to check things out here on the ground. Will you relax and enjoy some late 19th century Chicago amenities? I'm going to set the stage for this episode. Perhaps you've been wondering how it is that we come up with such interesting topics. Well, we've got our favorite issues, obviously. Those would be school privatization schemes and conspiracies for me, measuring school quality for Jack, But we also get quite a few suggestions from listeners, and that's how today's episode came to be. We heard from a listener in Chicago, a teacher at a charter school named Mahir Garud, and he wanted to talk to us about a relatively new union for charter school teachers there. It got us thinking. Teachers in Chicago have been organizing for a long time, all the way back to 1897, where Jack is hanging out. And those 19th century teacher activists turn out to have some things in common with this very 2017 teacher who you're about to meet. My name is Mihir Garud. I teach at Instituto Health Sciences Career Academy, the charter school in Pilsen uh, in Chicago. So I've been teaching uh, for four years. Uh, I've, you know, this is a career change. Uh, I was a business or econ major. Um, after that, my first job was, I was actually, you know, believe it or not, I was a stockbroker for a big bank. I was basically working uh, and trading uh, on clients' accounts uh, that were you know, high net worth individuals uh, making trades on their retirement or their individual investment accounts. And I was felt very, um, you know, not, well, I felt very, uh, like it was a lag. You know, there's something like lacking in my life. So with that, I was kind of contributing to the fact that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And I was contributing to that income inequality. So I didn't like that on my conscience. Um, and you know, I was looking for something else. I was always had an interest in education, uh, but I just never thought to be a teacher. Um, but now I get to teach consumer education and financial literacy to ninth graders. And it's actually a very, very rewarding, uh, you know, job, uh, when, uh, I see, you know, parents uh, at Ford Car Pickup Day will say something like, you know, uh, my son or daughter told me not to use a credit card or to uh, watch the interest rates or pay down the debt. Uh, and that just makes you know, the world difference to me. In addition to teaching at a charter school, Mahir is also the recently elected treasurer of a union in Chicago that represents charter school teachers. Here's a campaign ad that he recorded when he was running for office. Hi, my name is Mihir Garud. I'm running for Shyak's treasurer of Local 4343. I teach financial literacy and personal finance at the Institute of Health Sciences Career Academy in Pilsen. With my financial knowledge, I believe I have the skills necessary to move our union forward and use dues effectively to build our union up. So I'm asking you, October 30th, to vote the Stronger Together slate. 
Chris Barron as President, Caroline Hackett Rutherford as Vice President, Linda Zaya for Secretary, and myself, Mihir Garud as Treasurer. Thank you. So, so Jack, take us back to 1897. Now, I know um, Mihir pitched us this story thinking that that we would be talking about 2017, but the danger of of going on a show that's co-hosted by an education historian is that there's always a backstory. There is always a backstory. And in fact, I wanted to go back to 1886 uh, to the Haymarket Massacre in Chicago, Uh, but uh, somebody happens to put her foot down about that. So, uh, 1897, uh, the Chicago Teachers Federation was established as the first teachers-only union. Uh, The National Education Association had been founded about 40 years before that, but included uh, a lot of administrators. Um, The NEA had been founded primarily uh, to raise teacher salaries and salaries of administrators, um, but also something that we see across time with labor unions. Um, to aggregate voices in order to uh, gain strength around political issues that were deemed important. So the NEA, for instance, worked to pass uh, child labor laws and advocate for the education of emancipated slaves. Um, And the Chicago Teachers Federation also had a number of political issues that were of primary importance. And one thing that's really worth paying attention to here is the fact that the Chicago Teachers Federation was founded by two women. Uh, Teachers unions have often been at the forefront of gender equity issues as well as racial equity issues. Uh, And so in addition to issues of pay, uh, and it's worth noting here that many Chicago teachers were just paid room and board uh, for their labors, that gender equity uh, and real reform were on the slate for them. Uh, The founders of the Chicago Teachers Federation, for instance, had discovered that these major corporations had been issued 100-year leases of land and uh, were paying far below market value and no taxes. Uh, And so this is, of course, at a time, as we might recall, uh, when women couldn't even vote. And so the fact that they were organizing together with men uh, in a labor union actually was doing uh, what, you know, Robert Putnam, the Harvard sociologist, uh, has called, you know, serving as schools of democracy, where people were learning how to participate in democratic life and really gaining some powerful tools for doing so. What's so interesting when you go back and read about that period is how ripped from the headlines it feels that, you know, it's 1897. It's really, it's the, it's the Gilded Age. There's incredible inequality and there's all this social tumult. And the, the women who are starting the Chicago uh, Federation of Teachers see their, um, their brothers, their husbands, their relatives in these militant unions um, in, in the industries. And so they, they think that that should be a model for them as well. And when I listen to Mahir talk about his reasons for getting involved in a charter teachers union, I hear a lot of those same themes. Let's take a listen. I regard unions as one of the last remaining institutions in society that provide the necessary checks and balances needed on free market capitalism so that our democracy can function most effectively. Uh, What I've been seeing is a battle between democracy and capitalism, and it's no question who has won in that battle, and that's capitalism. Um, 
you know, there's a dire need for increased teacher voice and representation in the school's decision-making process. Uh, who knows our kids better than the teachers who spend the most time with them? Um, one big shift in the narrative is also uh, the education reform debate has been hijacked by corporations um, and billionaires who now pour a lot of money, uh, millions and millions of dollars, into uh, local races or school board. And I think that's a huge problem uh, because it takes away um, power of collective power of people, uh, the collective power of democracy. And until we have, um, you know, finance reform, you know, it's a big topic. It always gets raised and then it's kind of brushed aside, uh, you know, kick the can down the road for another day. It's a good talking point, but not many policymakers act on that. Uh, the problem with the education reform debate uh, by billionaires and corporations is most of them don't send their kids to public schools, nor know what it's like to become a public school teacher. Teachers are the original education reformers, and we need to take that debate back, win that debate back on who the real reformers are in education. So, Jack, I imagine that you could go back to 1897 and hear teachers making arguments that were very similar to what we just heard from Mahir about teachers being the real reformers, and that even even some of the issues that he he talked about are very similar. Yeah. So, issues that were raised by early uh, teachers' union members were in many ways, some of the same issues that we hear today, uh, that they were upset about a lack of autonomy, about arbitrary dismissal, um, political hiring processes, uh, school administrators playing favorites, uh, large class sizes that were inhibiting their ability to be effective instructors. But then also some things, obviously, that were uh, very particular to the time. Right. History uh, doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Uh, and so we see some some elements of life in the early 20th century uh, that seem different uh, than life today, but, you know, which are reminiscent of some of the issues that contemporary teachers are dealing with. So in the early 20th century, these would have been issues around discrimination, for instance, uh, against female teachers, uh, a number of contracts required that teachers, female teachers, wear skirts of certain lengths or teach Sunday school or not receive, uh, this is a, a direct quote, gentlemen callers more than three times a week. And so we can see that there is this long history of trying to control teachers' lives inside and outside of the classroom in ways that can be really problematic and that Teachers individually tend not to have a tremendous amount of power, but of course the the element uh, of uh, the um, let me back up. But um, teachers individually tend not to have a tremendous amount of power, but when their voices are aggregated in the form of the union, uh, they gain the kind of authority that has traditionally been held only by central administrators. So we fast forward 120 plus years. We're back to 2017, and Mahir is now part of a relatively new effort to organize teachers at charter schools in Chicago. And Jack, I think you and education historians everywhere will be pleased to learn that that history you just recounted 
seems to shape the way that Mahir and his colleagues see the work that they're doing now. Here's Mahir again. 10% of charter schools nationwide are unionized. Where in Chicago, 25%. So a quarter of all charter schools in the city of Chicago are unionized. So um, that, I think, goes back to Chicago's great history of labor organizing and how powerful and, you know, relevant the Chicago Teachers Union has been throughout its history with great leaders like Jackie Vaughn, um, you know, going down the line. Um, and it's made up, Chi-X is made up of 32 schools and about a, a thousand members. And when I go to conferences nationwide, people are look looking at Chicago as a leader uh, in this model of charter organizing, uh, where, you know, it's 25% of our schools are organized, whereas only 10% of the nation's charter schools are unionized. So we're looked upon as kind of, you know, when we go there, like, wow, what is your model? What are you doing that's working? Um, and it's not just, you know, why I really like Chiac. These are not a group of, you know, uh, stereotypical, uh, you know, the myth of the greedy teacher, all just looking at up your money and contracts and pay. This is about also they're involved uh, with social justice activism. Um, you know, beyond just a contract, uh, you know, supporting DACA, the undocumented students, which we have a lot in Chicago, you know, 97 or 98% of my school is Latino. So I think it's important uh, that Chiax leads the way in providing these uh, or partnering up with programs uh, that, that give uh, Know Your Rights training and let people understand that, you know, uh, this is a big country. And, you um, you know, people are willing to support, are here for you and to support you despite what political rhetoric you might hear on the national stage. So, Jack, did you happen to catch Mahir's reference to the stereotypical teacher? I did. I not only caught it there, but I caught it a bit around Thanksgiving uh, as well from people who love to talk my ear off about those bad old teachers. Well, I imagine if you went back to Thanksgiving in 1897, you might have been able to find a similar conversation taking place because that tension about the role of teachers' unions, right, has really been there since the very beginning. This issue of whether it's possible to be at once a powerful, organized force for teachers themselves, but also be advocates for kids, has really, really been at the heart of our our increasingly bitter debate over whether teachers should even have unions. This often gets distilled down to the phrase adult interest. Uh, which is a really powerful and politically effective phrase implying that teachers are after something nefarious that couldn't possibly be appropriate for children. Um, but it's important to note here that unlike lots of other industries, the interests of educators really regularly align with the interests of children. So whereas a soda company wants to get kids to consume more sugary drinks and have all their teeth fall out, and a tobacco company wants kids to smoke. Teachers want more funding for school facilities and smaller class sizes and salaries that will keep teachers in the classroom and uh, in the middle class. But these interests do align pretty strongly with what is best for children. Now, there are some things that 
adults may want for themselves that do not serve children. Uh, in many cases, they don't do any harm to children. Uh, and we might say then that teachers are no different from other adults who are employed and who would like to be, you know, well remunerated for their labor. Um, and then around the issues where, you know, the things that adults might want for themselves, but which might actually conflict with the interests of children. Those are the places where uh, districts can bargain back and can say, right, these are, these are non-negotiable. But to simply say across the board that anything that adults want must therefore be bad for children is a pretty weak argument. Uh, you know, that's a strong argument for taking kids away from their parents, right? That parents often want what's best for themselves. Hopefully that aligns also with what's best for their children. And we might include the fact here that sometimes they care so much about their children, parents do, and sometimes teachers care so much about their students that they are willing to sacrifice their own interests uh, for the interests of the young people in their care. When Mahir approached us about doing this episode, it was because what's happening in Chicago right now is really something we haven't seen before. You know, not only is there a union of charter school teachers, but it's looking to merge with the union that represents some 30,000 teachers in the Chicago public schools. But Jack, when I was listening to you talk today about the earliest days of teacher organizing, it really made me think about what's happening in Chicago right now a little bit differently. So for 120 years, you see teachers banding together to deal with some problem, and, and often they're dealing with the same kinds of problems. It made me wonder whether charter school unions or some kind of organized teacher force aren't inevitable. Here's what Mahir thinks. I don't know. I don't think it's inevitable um, because it depends on, you know, obviously uh, what the school choice uh, debate that's going on currently, especially with Betsy DeVos as an education secretary, or if you have more market oriented reform, you know, educational reformers uh, who want to privatize education. So I don't think it's inevitable. Uh, but if one, if a quarter of Chicago's 130 charter schools are organized, uh, I think, you know, obviously, uh, if more of them get organized, uh, what would that look like? I think, you know, uh, they will still likely keep their autonomy and contract as their charter stands. Uh, under state law, Chicago public schools and charter schools cannot be under the same contract. Um, charters would continue to have their own contracts, which are negotiated and ratified by its membership. Um, but what I can see happening is uh, a system of checks and balances in place to ensure that there's accountability in the education services students are receiving, such as, uh, you know, special ed uh, requirements, those minutes, um, class sizes, and, uh, you know, overall uh, working conditions for teachers and staff. As, as you listen to Mahir, you probably notice that he makes mention uh, several times of the fact that 25% of teachers in Chicago who work at charter schools are already union members. And and this is unusual. Um, there are, um, I just saw somewhere that of the kids who attend charter schools in LA, 30% of them attend charter schools where their teachers are unionized. So it is becoming an urban phenomenon. Um, but Jack, I'm wondering if you can take us back on a shorter trip in the time machine, at least 
at least part of the vision for charter schools, in addition to the laboratories of innovation, was to free them up from unions. Do you think that their original visionaries imagined a scenario by which, uh, you know, you would have a charter school teachers union or a, a quarter of the of the members in a place like Chicago would be part of it? If you go back and you listen to our charter schools uh, origins episode, I think one of the things that really comes across clearly is the fact that the charter movement has succeeded because it has managed to bring strange bedfellows together. And so the fact that you could have, uh, you know, virulent anti-union, uh, market-oriented, uh, you know, people who are even in favor of privatization in some cases, um, working for the same thing as folks who imagine themselves to be progressives. Uh, that, that really speaks to the big tent of the charter movement and how uh, advocates for school choice have really been able to sort of shuffle aside the most divisive political issues uh, and try to bring people together uh, who otherwise might disagree about a tremendous amount. But of course, uh, those issues aren't going to remain on the sidelines forever. And that was actually one of Al Shanker's key insights. Even though Shanker didn't propose the idea of charter schools, he knew that uh, the vision was one that would eventually be fought over to some extent, and that if if charters could be seen as these laboratories of innovation where uh, practices would be brought from uh, the laboratory into uh, the wider school system, that there might be a place for unions in charter schools. And increasingly, that's what we're seeing, is that uh, the thing that has made charter schools so successful uh, their ability to at least mute uh, some of the, the most extreme political ideologies that often support charter schools, the ability to set aside some of these really divisive uh, political ideologies has actually come back to haunt some of those folks who hold those ideologies, because now we see um, they, they really don't have control over the future of charter schools, uh, that, it, that it really is a, uh, a story that will be written by the people who are involved with them. And of course, you know, who is more involved than the teachers? Jack, you were just talking about the divisions within the charter school movement. On the union side, the big divide has been over whether unions want to put charter schools out of business or whether they want to try to organize the teachers who work at charter schools. And this has been a huge issue in Chicago, too. We did an episode recently about the continued fallout from those mass school closings back in 2013. Well, the city is about to start closing schools again, especially schools that are under-enrolled. And the continued growth of charter schools is a big part of why you have all these half-empty neighborhood schools. I asked Mahir how he sees what's been really a hostility on the part of teachers' unions to charter schools, and I thought his answer was kind of surprising. 
I believe that educators are realizing that we're all teaching the same students and striving for the same improvements in the classroom and in our schools. Um, with any crisis, in this case, the nomination of Betsy DeVos, uh, a pending Janus decision, the election of Donald Trump, people are recognizing the need to be part of a larger collective voice. There are many former, uh, in this case, Chicago Public Schools teachers who now work in charters, and now a lot of charter school teachers who have uh, you know, are now CPS teachers. So we're in the same fight. We have the same um, concerns over issues, whether it be overcrowded classroom, um, special ed or diverse learners, uh, having a supportive community and educational environment that we teach to same students. So what I'm noticing, especially in Chicago, as people are getting more educated and people are talking to each other, because that's one thing, again, we need to start talking to each other and stop assuming um, that we understand that, uh, you know, that they're understanding that the enemy are, are not other teachers, are not the working class. It's, you know, in this case, charter operators uh, who might not have their best interests uh, at hand. So I'm seeing a shift in the in that, you know, in that anger or concern from the teacher to the operator or the management organization. And I think that's critical uh, because. You know, uh, this issue has been used to divide us for a long time. You know, the divide and conquer strategy is alive and well uh, in many places, especially in Chicago. I think for me, what's been so interesting about comparing Mahir's organizing in 2017 with the organizing that started the Chicago Federation of Teachers back in 1897 is that we we tend to think of these issues as being sort of set in stone, right? That, you know, there are, there's a fight over, over unions and education and it stays, you know, it's exactly the same um, you know, throughout history. But what you see instead is that you it's very difficult to separate these particular battles from the larger political and social context that's swirling around them. And just as those first women were, you know, sort of struggling to gain a toehold in the Gilded Age, Mahir very much sees what he's doing as as part of a backlash to Trump, as part of a, you know, a quest by millennials to figure out how to use their collective power as a force for good. You know, uh, the folks who want us to play more away games on this podcast will certainly be sitting uh, beneath their headphones wondering why we haven't said anything critical about unions and uh, to to keep them listening and giving us five-star ratings. I will add that unions are not without their troubles. Um, that, you know, when we look back at the history of teacher unions, that it's important to recognize that they exist for a reason. And then it's also important to recognize that there are certain things that have happened in the past uh, that might lead us to think more about guardrails uh, or uh, particular kinds of practices that we might not want unions engaging in. Um, but all of this, I think, tells a really powerful story about the importance of the past, which is that if we ignore why something exists, we put ourselves in a situation where we are going to need to reinvent it. And that's exactly what we've seen with charter school unions, that if we put ourselves in a position where we ignore the origins of teacher unions and we try to set up 
a new system in which unions will not play a role. What we're watching is the recreation of unions in the charter sector, because, of course, you know, they were created for a reason. I think that's such a great point because when um, I mentioned at the outset that Mahir reached out to us because there are these conversations happening um, around merging his union, which represents charter school teachers, with the Chicago Teachers Union. And it's really nothing like that has ever happened before. But there's a real sense of what he describes as existential crisis among teachers across the board in Chicago, regardless of the kind of school in which they work. Let's take a listen. Yeah, I think if it can bring a conversation, that's always a good thing. You know, I think that's one thing I think that led to uh, the election of Donald Trump is that people were just so in their bubbles. Uh, and when I say bubbles, I think I'm thinking of urban versus rural. Um, and people were just like, we're not going to have a conversation because I think I know where this person uh, lies, where his or her uh, thinking is. And we stopped having these important conversations. So even we we stopped um you know, uh, being okay with discomfort. Well, I think discomfort is necessary if we're going to um, move through these difficult issues. We have to have conversations. So, um, you know, I hope that people do get inspired uh, to be more active. Uh, I know that from, for me, it, my personal inspirations were seeing um, Barack Obama become president um, and my inspiration to get act, be more active in union work and just social justice issues was the election of Donald Trump, um, which got me, you know, basically uh, behind the computer, as Obama said, stop tweeting, stop, you know, uh, Facebooking and just uh, get out there and get a petition out and start collecting some signatures. So, uh, you know, it's really was a call to action. And it doesn't mean that uh, we're people who are against charters are bad people. We just need to have an honest conversation about the issues that matter and see if you can put the politics aside. So earlier this year, members of Shyacks voted to approve that merger with the Chicago Teachers Union. Uh, conversations are still ongoing, and some kind of final vote will be taken um, taken early next year. And Jack, you probably noticed that Mahir made um, a couple of references to Janus. That's the big Supreme Court case that's going to be coming down in June, and is pretty much universally expected to be deliver a crushing blow against teachers' unions. And I'm going to use this opportunity as my uh, power as co-host to suggest on the air that we do an episode about that um, and get into uh, explore in a little more detail some of the things that you just raised about. Um, problems in unions that have made them vulnerable to to the kind of attack that's coming down now. So, see, it's on the air. You can't get out of it. Well, since I'm still back in 1897, <laughs> I've got 120 years to think about it. <laughs> I just want to give a shout out to our guest today, Mahir Garud. Thanks, Mahir, for listening to Have You Heard and for suggesting such an interesting topic for us. We love hearing from listeners, so please keep the feedback coming and keep sending us those ideas. Email it, send it to the Twitter handle, which is at Have You Heard Pod. Uh, and as long as we're telling you to reach out to us, go ahead and go online wherever you get your podcast and give us a rating. It only helps make our podcast more visible for folks who aren't yet listening. And on that note, I'm Jack Schneider. And I'm Jennifer Berkshire. And Jack, I, for one, am looking forward to welcoming you back from the 19th century. It's <laughs>
going to be a long time before I'm back, but there are some good things that will happen between now and then, and I'll be uh, particularly reveling in uh, the, the presidential administration of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, which will just go on and on. <laughs> this is Have You Heard. <laughs> 